Kia ora, welcome. Thank you for letting me take a little hitchhike through a couple of different things. I've got a really good question for you. I doubt anyone remembers, but does anyone remember us doing the book of Ephesians once before? Maybe, yeah. Well, Warren, you preached in it, so you better remember. Um, we did the book of Ephesians, and I think about August 2018 was like olden times. These guys weren't even born. No. <laughs> and so I really love the book of Ephesians, and I, we were thinking and planning about doing a book at the end of this year for six weeks, uh, or four to six weeks, and uh, we just really felt like, well, I really thought that Ephesians would be a fun one to do. So we're going to do a six-week walk through the book of Ephesians. Are you ready? Cool. Now, um, before I even start, my job this morning is to kind of do a couple of things, two things. Number one, obviously talk about Ephesians chapter one. However, and I remember saying this last time, don't get religious on me, okay? You ready? Take your religious hat off for a second. Ephesians 1 is a bit of a set up. It's a foundation building. It is getting into Ephesians 2, 3, and then 4, 5, and 6 are about some practical help. Um, but chapters 1, 2, and 3 are quite uh, theological. Uh, they set up our faith. And we'll talk about why Paul does that. But chapter 1 is a little bit of an introduction. There's a few bits and pieces in there. But there's, it's a it's little bit lighter on the meat, and the reason for that is the meat's coming, okay? It's like the entree. So what that means is that I, um, today we're going to, so there's that, but what I get to do is the really fun thing as well, is I get to, in, uh, I get to what am I trying to say? I get to take you on the journey with the whole book of Ephesians. I get to unpack why, who, how, when. So that's what I'm doing today. So I'm going to talk about the book of Ephesians in general, who wrote it, where it was written, why it was written, right? And then we'll get into Ephesians chapter 1. And then next week, the amazing Jordan Jones, woo, where is she? There she is. She's going to do Ephesians chapter 2 for us. All right. Thank you, Lord, that you speak through your words. And Lord, I pray that you would do so today. Lord, that you something would stand out in your scripture this morning. Amen. All right. Ephesians chapter 1. Context is really important. Whenever we do a, a book or do an exegetical walk through a chapter of the Bible, I always talk about context. Context is really important. How many people have come across somebody that says stuff, says a scripture completely like out of context, and they put their own interpretation through it, and they just say it, and you're like, dude, do some exegesis on that, please. Uh, I, I remember a guy at my old church, lovely guy who I was actually friends with, and um, I, I remember I had a reasonably loud car because Hamilton. Um, <laughs> Bogan. Um, so <laughs> I had a reasonably loud car, and I remember he came up to me one day, and he said, he quoted, um, we're not conformed to this world, um, but, you know, by the pattern of renewing of our mind. I was like, sorry? He's like, don't conform to this world. And I was like, so my exhaust being slightly bigger than your one means I'm conforming to the world? He's like, yes. I was like, Okay, well, that's interesting. I don't know if that's what Paul was meaning when he was talking about large exhaust pipes on really sweet Holden Commodores, okay? I don't think that's what he meant. But anyway, that's fine. And I remember him being like, dead serious. Uh, I was like, okay. 
Cool. So context is really important. I want you to take 30 seconds with the person next to you and unpack what you think this phrase might mean. If there's no one sitting around you, have a think about it. Otherwise, someone will come and say hello to you. But I just want you to have a think about this. Um, A verse in isolation uh, can lead to violation. What do you think that means? I talk about context all the time. But what does it mean that a verse in isolation, a verse by itself, can sometimes lead to a violation of what's been said. You've got 30 seconds, just say hello to the person next to you, and then just have a little unpack what you think that might mean. Go, you've got 30 seconds. Has anyone ever heard a scripture just totally out of context, and someone says it and it just doesn't kind of feel right, they say it at a bad time, they don't fully understand the context of it. Has anyone ever seen or heard, heard that? Only two or three of you. That's great. You're in a great church then if that happens. Um, that's good. Um, but the idea that context is really important. So when we read through the book of Ephesians, it's really important for us to understand why it's written. Who's writing it? Writing it into what situation? That's really important because sometimes we take the words and we apply it directly to our situation. We're like, this is what it means. And if you could teleport Paul here, he'd be like, no, that's not what it meant. Um, But we do that a lot, okay? We turn really great scriptures into violation of uh, decibel ratings on a Holden Commodore if we're not careful. All right. So a little bit about the author. I know that many of you will know that it was uh, the Apostle Paul, but I know that not everybody knows that. So we're going to take everyone on the quick journey through a little about the author, a little about the letter, and a little about the location. All right. So the author, you will know him as Saul. I found this on the internet, and uh, Saul before Christ, a mean and nasty man. I don't agree with that. I think he was doing what he thought was actually the best thing. Um, but I put it up there because I was just like, ha I can talk to that. I don't agree with that. So I didn't write that. Someone else did. But there's a second image in this series coming up soon. But Paul persecuted, his name was Saul at the time, he persecuted the Christians, you can find that in the book of Acts. He was going around and uh, persecuting them to a point where uh, some were killed, Stephen, and uh, many others were under heavy persecution. So who is Paul? Well, he was a Roman citizen, uh, and he... um, yeah, he was a Roman citizen, and he was born in, the, in Taurus. Uh, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. He was born uh, from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, he lived in Ephesus for three years, and on the road to Damascus, he met Jesus, and Jesus changed his life forever. And I think it would be fair, wouldn't it? Would you agree with me, outside of Jesus, like, there's no one more than Paul, certainly in the New Testament, that that was more influential. Wouldn't you agree? Not if you agree. Like Paul, he wrote uh, 13 of the 27 New Testament um, books and maybe even a couple more than that. He was massively involved. Uh, And he died in about 62 to 64 AD uh, in Rome. Uh, And he was an incredible firebrand for the gospel. Um, See, there you go. He's changed. He's happy and smiling now. Uh, He was a firebrand, and he went and preached preached to the Gentiles, and he was basically a missionary, if you will. He went all over the place, did our Paul. 
Uh, He went into prison a bunch of times. Uh, And he died at the ripe old age, which was extremely old for first century Israel, of about 60, we think. Uh, Because we think he was born in about AD 04, and uh, there's reports for him living up until about AD uh, 63, 64, somewhere around there. So he was about 60, which was really, really, really old uh, in those times, in those times, for those who are frowning at me right now. Um, So this is... uh, Ancient um, places, I was going to say Middle East, it's not Middle East, but um, Adriatic Sea, all of the Mediterranean, all around there. And you'll see Ephesus, oh wait, we're going to get there, but this is where Paul walked. Are you ready? This took me a while. I make sure and I fact-checked everywhere, and I even tried to have the arrows in the right timeline, and then I realized I'd spent way too long in this, and no one cares except me. Then I'm like, oh, then he went here. Oh, I better make sure the arrow's over here, because then he went to this one. I was looking through the book of Acts, and then I realized it was like the Holy Spirit was like, over here, bro. And I was like, the nerd in me is like, yeah, but what about this? Okay, so he went all over the place, everywhere, um, and he, he traveled, he did three big missionary trips, and on his third one, he went into Ephesus, where the book of Ephesians is written. On Ephesus, uh, there it is, uh, if you're looking for Israel, uh, sorry, it's in Turkey, modern day Turkey, and Israel's down in the bottom there on the right hand side, uh, and he walked from uh, Jerusalem to Ephesus, there's his little footprints, oh, you can't really see them, can you? Oh, you sort of can. Um, he walked all the way to Ephesus. And if you're unsure, that's where Rome is. So he ended up being uh, killed in Rome, they, ex- they suspect. We don't know 100% sure where he was killed, but it's um, suspected to be in Rome. All right, some stuff about Ephesus. Ephesus was kind of like the bank of uh, the Mediterranean, okay? It was an extremely wealthy, wealthy city. Massively wealthy, actually. Um, It had a population of about half a million people. It was a financial hub. And you can read in uh, Acts chapter 18 about these two characters called Priscilla and Aquila. And what we know about them is they actually started the church in Ephesus. They were the church planters, if you will. They were there. Paul writes to them. Paul visits them. And they do some amazing work in Ephesus. Uh, the, The book that we're about to read was actually written approximately six years after his first visit and when it was started. Uh, in um, Ephesus was the famous temple of Diana, that's the Roman name, or Artemis, which is the Greek name, considered to be one of the seven wonders of the world. It was a beautiful place, it was an expensive place to live, a lot of commerce, a lot of trade, it was very, like, it was like the Ponsonby, okay, so it was like super, super bougie, it was a very expensive place to live, and it was a mixture of faiths, Worldviews, ethnicities, cultures. It was a melting pot. You think Cornerstone, or if you think Rolleston's a melting pot, you haven't seen nothing yet. That, that place was a melting pot of places. But how many people know that when you have a big pot and you put in many, 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 many different flavors and things, you start to get a little diluted. And you're going to hear that more and more with the book of Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians, that... Uh, The church in Ephesus had a problem where everybody was coming in with their own experiences, their own opinions, and things changed pretty dramatically. 
Um, so there was, they had a goddess of Diana, and if you see, if I got it there, so you can still go there today. Again, it's, it was extremely wealthy place. You can go there, and they estimate that 75% of all of Ephesus is still under sand. They've only excavated a small portion of it. But it's disappeared off the face of the earth, essentially. No one lives in and around there. Ephesus, virtually, outside of some tourism, doesn't really it exist but no one lives there. It doesn't exist as a, as a city like Rome still does or Jerusalem still does. It's gone. I've got a theory on that. But anyway, right here, you can go there, 25,000 seat um, auditorium. And right there, down there somewhere, um, uh, Paul was almost killed, uh, torn to shreds. Uh, and they were screaming for over an hour, give him to Diana, give him to the God of Diana. Um, so Paul going into that environment, it was a pretty tricky space, but he came with authority and with love, and he was able to change that kind of space. It was famous for that temple. All right, some facts about the letter. Oh, there's Ephesus. So it's quite a cool space. I'd love to go there sometime. Anyone been to Ephesus? Oh, look at you. Well done. Good job. Was it cool? Yeah, very cool. All right, a little on the letter. There's uh, one of the earliest um, um, printouts of it, if you will. Um, Paul wrote this, um, this book while he was under house arrest in Rome. There are four uh, prison epis- um, epistle letters. There's um, this one, Ephesians. There is Philippians, Philemon, and Colossians. Four letters he wrote in prison. And like I said earlier, he, in this letter, he says, in Christ, over 30 times. In this letter as well is in Ephesians 4, which is okay for me to talk about. I told my team who were preaching on this, I said, if you're preaching on Ephesians 3, don't go find yourself wandering into Ephesians 6. It's someone else's yard, okay? And so I'm going to talk about Ephesians 4 for one, one second, but it's okay because I'm doing Ephesians 4, okay? So I can, I can, I'll be okay. I won't be annoyed at myself in four weeks' time. Ephesians 4 is where you find the seven ones, they call it. Uh, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one truth, uh, one faith, one baptism. That famous piece of scripture. Um, this is a, a relic of a church building. Does it look like it's going? It's long since died. So Ephesians, the book, the, 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 the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, written by Paul to the church in Ephesus, is really in two parts. The first part is this. It's chapters 1 to 3, like I said, and it's full of doctrinal truths, theology. If you're interested in learning more about the gospel, learning more about God and church, Ephesians is a good place. There's a lot of foundational stuff that he says. Paul says, this is why we believe what we believe. This is what Christ has done. So as we go through Ephesians 1 today, many of you will go, oh yeah, I know this. This is good for us to remind ourselves. And if you know the truth, that's cool. But listen to the words he says. It's really neat. So Ephesians 1 to 3 is about doctrinal stuff. And Ephesians 4 to 6 is more about the practical stuff. And he really goes for it. Um, And there's a hinge between chapters 3 and 4. Uh, Does anyone know what that hinge is? It's a word that starts in chapter 4. Paul loved, yeah, someone said it. Who said it? Therefore, well done, whoever that was. Whenever you see therefore, you need to ask what the therefore is there for. It's a hinge. 
So he says, this is what we believe. This is why we believe it. This is what Christ has done for you. You are rich in the faith. You are this. You have done this, 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 and this. Therefore, go and do it. <laughs> Live a life that looks like what the Bible says it should look like, well, what uh, the Lord says. Martin Luther, he said this about the book of Ephesians, uh, the sublimest composition of man. I'd like to point out, <clears throat> Martin Luther, that I don't know sublimest is a word, Coming from someone that never makes words up from the front, I just want to point that out. I'm not sure a sublimist is a word, my friend. Uh, another theologian, uh, Henry Athard, said, The greatest and most heavenly work of one whose very imagination is peopled with things in heaven. Very pretty. He's got a good beard as well. Book of Ephesians is a great book. It has a clear message for people who have become unclear in their faith. It's a clear message for people who have become unclear. You know how I talked about that big crock pot? You invite a hundred friends over and they all get to put one ingredient in. Good luck. You might have a marmite and sardine stew with, I don't know. My point being, they let... The environment flavor them. Paul's saying, come on, guys. This is the truth. These are the ingredients. That's what Ephesians is about. So you ready? This is where you go, yeah, Dre, we're ready. Good work. Oh, by the way, quickly. Paul is saying stuff that they already know. And I was reminded of the fact the other day, I was looking at some cigarettes up there. I don't know why I was looking at them. I just saw them. And I was like, man, they look so different to when I was a kid. Anyone remember when you were 16 and you could buy cigarettes? Like I went like legitimately on the school bus. I'd go buy toffee pops um, <clears throat> at 16. Um, and legally. And, um, but I, I remember they used, to, they used to look different. Now they're either just white or they've got grotesque pictures on them. Anyone seen those pictures? They're really yuck. So I've done this for you. Ready? There you go. You don't have to look at them. I've already seen the faces of people who are like, oh, yuck, I'm going to throw up. But the point is, and I'm not picking on anyone who smokes here today, but the point is it's very clear. I read this pack of cigarettes and it says, if you smoke these, you will die sooner than you would if you didn't. What we know from Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, is they were told, if you do this, you will die. Where's the church now? Where's the city now? Information's great, but without transformation, it nothing. Paul says, these are the things, chapters 1, 2, and 3. These, this is the theology. Four, five, and six, do it. Don't just look at the pack of cigarettes and go, yep, I know, and then be surprised when you die early. Ephesians is theology, instruction, and correction. You guys ready? Ephesians 1, chapter 1. What I'm going to do is we're not going to go through every single little word. We're kind of, it's a walkthrough. It's a meander. And up until this point, everybody else is like a tour guide. Ephesians 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. The other preachers, they're like a tour guide with those hats. And they're like, over there's the gazelle. Over here is this. If you look to your left, you'll see this. Up until this point, I'm more like the bus driver for the tour bus. Something like, this is a bus. 
This is what the book of Ephesians is. But now I get to be the tour guide for Ephesians 1. Let's walk through it. We're not going to look at every rock and pebble, but we will go through. You ready? Okay. Ephesians chapter 1. Essentially, Ephesians chapter 1 is if you look at that, which you don't know what that is yet, you will see it's a foundation of a house. You build a foundation down, you drill holes, you put concrete in. This is at least what I think. Um, I went to drama school, so I don't really know, but that's what I was told. That's how foundations are built. The builders will probably nod, or at least it's how they can be done. Then on top of that, what do you build? You build your house. You build your house last. You build a solid foundation. So what is Paul doing in Ephesians 1? Building the... Right, here we go. Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of the Lord. We're going to carry on. He's just... um, saying who he is. He's not going to assume that everybody knows who he is. It's not like Facebook Messenger with a photo coming up. When someone writes to you, you don't know who it is. So he's just giving the explanation. Let's go from verse 3. Sorry, verse 3 is there. Praise to be God and Father of our uh, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Anyone ever here played um, Chinese Whispers? You know, you play Chinese whispers and you're like, the potluck paradox, Polly promised. That was right on the top of my dome. Imagine if I I gave that to Shelley and it went through everybody. What do you think we would get by the time we came all the way over here and got to Amy Olufsen? You would get something weird. We need a letter with good theology, very clear thing that everybody can look back at. This is what he's writing. He knows this letter will be read thousands of times. I don't think he quite knew how big and how far it would go, but he's making a claim about Jesus. Praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in the sight and love predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I know people right now feel a little uncomfortable about that. There's a word in there that might make some people uncomfortable. Chosen. I like the idea of being chosen. It's very clear. That's what the Bible says. You were chosen. But I guess the flip side to chosen is, are there people who are not chosen? What does that mean? I would encourage you to unpack this idea for yourself. Part of my job as a pastor is to say, hey, look, this is correct. This is theology. This is dogmatic views. This might be doctrinal views, and where you find in there, that's okay, and here's opinion. That's fine too. This isn't a dogmatic, like absolute, if you don't believe this, you're not a Christian. But there are a whole bunch of views. People who've maybe gone to Bible college will know what I'm talking about here, or have been around a little while. We're talking about Calvinism. We're talking about Arminianism. This idea of, are you chosen? And no matter what you do, it doesn't matter because God's already chosen you. Or an Arminianist view might be, everybody's up for grabs. I think any time you go one end of the spectrum or the other is a bit of a problem. I remember our Bible lecturer, what was his name? Bob Robinson, uh, who used to say, any theological idea that has ism at the end, you should always be a bit curious about. You should always 
little red flag because it just it, kind of the idea that this is what it is. So regardless of where you land, I think it's important that we know that God chose us. God predestined us. Now, does that mean that those who he didn't choose, is that because he already knew outside of space and time the decisions that you would already make? And from our earthly perspective, perhaps it looks like he didn't choose someone. I don't know. I give that to you to talk to God about it, to ask people. If you're really, really curious, you've got about six weeks before Warren's no longer officially an elder, ask him. He'll tell you. But chosen. Who likes the idea of the uncreated creator choosing you before time and space? I want to say to you, those who are in the room that maybe are on the journey, God did choose you. You're not here by accident. God chose you to be here. You're chosen. Verse 6, to the praise of the glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Can we all say lavished? Lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. When was the last time you were lavished on Maybe a while. I, 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 um, my love language is acts of service. So if like Hannah brings me a piece of cheese, like, and I'm like doing a sermon, I'm like, oh my gosh, you love me. I feel lavished. Oh, I love it. Or if Kath uh, Sutherland should just bring me a coffee randomly, not because I'm the pastor, but she knows that like me, she is acts of service. She gives me a coffee and I'm like, oh my gosh, someone loves me. God loves you like that. He lavishes grace and love on you. He loves you. He made known to us the mystery of his will. How many people know that God is a bit of a mystery? And you will do your head in if you try and understand everything. Right? You ready for this? It's okay not to know everything. Those control freaks amongst us might be like, what do you mean? I must know everything. Don't look at your spouse right now. Just carry on. <laughs> According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. In Christ. Everybody say in Christ. In Christ. Uh, to be put into effect with the times, reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven uh, and on earth under Christ. Paul is painting a picture about the Christian faith. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is growing. Where is it? Aside, Jesus is growing and developing us. We are strengthening, not weakening. I made that sound like a different language, didn't I? <laughs> weakening. Ephesians 1, 11 to 13. In him, in him we were also chosen. He says this twice. Uh, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything, um, in, conforming, uh, in conformity with the purpose of his will. I feel chosen. I, like, I got plucked, plucked out of darkness. It was just a random set of circumstances from my natural self. But when I look back, God was plucking me out of a situation. God wove together a set of circumstances. The first time God ever spoke to me, through prophecy, through the word of someone else, the first time. I was 17. 
I was in Dunedin Apostolic Church with a guy called Toby Collins, who later, weirdly enough, turned out to be my pastor years down the track. I didn't remember that. First time ever in a Christian conference, it was 2001 or two. So peroxide blonde hair with a chain, you know, really tight around here with the baggy jeans and the big shoes and that cool belt. You know, the cooler you were as if your belt... Okay, right, we're moving on. I'm in that space. First time I get called out, hey, you down the back, come on up. You and at the other end of the, the circle, I'm going to prophesy stuff over you. In that space, you know who was there? Hannah. She was 12 or 13, so I'm glad I didn't meet her. That would have been weird. <laughs> it's five years between us. That same trip, I also met my father-in-law because we set off the fire alarm and put a hole through a window and he had to come and tell us off. Years later, I was telling Hannah about this and I was like, oh, and then this guy came and he was really annoyed and he had tattoos all over us and he was, yeah, it was dad. And he was like, yeah, I remember you little punks. <laughs> But God brings things together. He chose you. He wove you together. You're not here even today by accident. Right. In order that we who are first put into our hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. And we're also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. There's hope in Christ. If you feel hopeless, the answer is in Jesus, in Christ. Too often, we look for hope in the pastor. I'll try. I'll point you to hope. I'm hoping with you. Too often, we look for hope in our spouse. You know, you're struggling through the day, and all you can think is, I'm going to get home, and I'm just going to unload on my, my spouse, and they're going to make me feel better. Cool. Great, great, great that they're there for that, or a good friend. But actually, we should do that in Christ on the way home in the car. God, I give this to you. Lord, help me. <laughs> you were chosen, adopted, and redeemed. Oh, come on. Maybe I undersold Ephesians 1. I undersold it, didn't I? Look at that. We are chosen, adopted, and redeemed. Amen. Where do you feel that you're struggling on one of those three things, maybe. So one of those three things, you're like, ah, oh, yep, I don't know if I feel adopted. I kind of feel like the third cousin from Gore at the wedding. I love anyone from Gore. We'll pray for you. <clears throat> All right, verse 11 to 13. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, those first people that put our hope in Christ, and the praise for his glory were also included in Christ. You heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. I reckon being in Ephesus in first century in the first century would have been difficult. There would have been gods on every corner. It would have been everybody saying and doing everything. It would have been awkward and uncomfortable. But you were marked and sealed. You are marked and sealed. Sometimes you feel like the little slings and arrows get you during the day. You are marked and you are sealed from that in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. In Christ. The odd one might get through. Just pull it out and say, in Christ. 
Who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who God is positioned to the praise of His glory? What did I tell you about Ephesus? What did I tell you about, was it a poor town or a rich town? See, what I love about Paul, Paul even says later on, I am all things to all men. It's interesting language. I just, I, I picked up on this. There's two words, deposit, guaranteeing, inheritance. Everybody in Ephesians, there was a lot of banks, a lot of lenders, a lot of financial people, business owners, organizational port and shipping and importers and logistic companies, all of that, right? And he's using the language that they will understand. When you're talking to people, use the language that they understand. I was watching an all-black, an ex-all-black interview about the Rugby World Cup, and I was like listening, and I heard about four times, like kind of Christianese language that I'm, I'm like, the lens of this. Well, you know, the cornerstone of that is this. And he used a couple of other words, and I was like, that guy's a Christian. I can pick up on it. And I Googled, and I was like, yes. Ephesians uh, 15 to 17. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, because he sent the two people to start it, he's excited about it, and your love for God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I'm like that too. I, uh, I don't stop giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers sometimes. Not perfect like Paul. He wasn't either, but... Gosh, the best thing about being a, a minister or working in ministry is people. Do you want to know what the hardest thing is too? You said it, I didn't. (laughs) I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I love that revelation's not a one-time thing, is it? It's like growing. We don't have grow up there, do we? Grow is done. Growing. See, this is a saying I, I, I came up with. It's really wise. The wisdom of the wise is to realize you're not, uh, you, you are not yet fully wise. Wise people realize they're not wise. It's the ones that go, yes, well, with my wisdom of age, I'm like, mm-mm, red flag. I love it when Warren at um, 80 hops up here and says, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still understanding. God's revealing things to me. It's an encouragement, brother, to all of the rest of us. So Paul is saying, uh, yeah, take the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We need wisdom and revelation to get through our lives. I pray that the eyes uh, of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches and the glorious inheritance, and his incomparably great power. Can we say power? For us who believe, the power uh, is the same as the mighty power that raised God from the thing, the strength. There you go. He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him on the right hand of the heavenly realms. Power! The church of Ephesus, by 300 AD, 250 years later, was dead, was gone. In fact, I've alluded already that Ephesus itself died and gone. I would like to say that one of the things I think that the, the Ephesians were lacking was the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Because the power of the Holy Spirit brings truth. And if you are a bit muddled and you are a little unsure, ask the Holy Spirit to bring clarity. Remember I talked earlier about part of the Ephesians idea is that he brings clearness to where there's murkiness. We need power. He exudes, wait, did I do that? Far above the rule and authority, power and domination, yes. Uh, He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to the head over everything. Again, this foundation. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, which fills everything in every way. The context for chapter 1 is that there's this mixing, this diluting. And Paul's big message, hey, you know what the main thing is? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. He just did whole chapter 1 and he'll continue to do it for chapter 2 and 3 to outline what the main thing is. Don't get diluted. Don't lose your power of the Holy Spirit. There's no church left. Their impact is gone. Could I have Hannah up for a second, please? Um, We had this guy called Ian Green came a number of years ago, pastor from England. And he said, where do you want Cornerstone to be in 120 years' time? I was like, "Woo, that is a strange question to ask. Honestly, I would love for it to continue. I would love, you know, that we have like a 100-year anniversary of Cornerstone. Some of us might even be there. Hang on, let me do the math. 70 years from now? Probably not. Okay, well, you young ones, maybe you'll make it. <laughs> I want us to be here. It's not about a name or a kingdom in and of itself. But I want us to love, to be graceful, to be hopeful to the community. The only way that we can do that is by growing, by having God's presence with us. This is, the book of Ephesians is a great book on the back of doing our Cornerstone series. Do you know who else wrote a letter to Ephesians? Well, this might confuse you, but in the book of Revelations, Jesus said something to the Ephesians. Are you ready? I'm not going to read it all. Don't freak out. The church in Ephesus. You have persevered at this point and endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. Well done. But if you do not repent, it's Jesus talking through John in the book of Revelation. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. No one even lives in Ephesus anymore. Its light has long since gone out. That's a bit of a warning for us. I want us, I'm not too worried about Cornerstone. I just want to see God and his people doing amazing things. If we're still, if the world's still here, I want the Christian movement in Rolleston to be powerful, loving and kind, a place where people come to and a sheltered place in the storm. That's my heart. It's my desires. Are yours? 
We can lay the foundation of that. There's no church left. They diluted. They forgot their first love. In here, Jesus talks about you have forgotten your first love. Don't forget your first love. Can we stand to our feet? They diluted and they forgot their first love and they lost the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we just take a moment, worship team, as you come? Is there one of those you just need a little help with? Do you look at one of those and go, gosh, you know, Lord, help me to remember that I'm chosen, that I'm adopted and I'm not just the third cousin from Gore. I'm a son or a daughter of you, Jesus. And that I am redeemed. Not perfect, but I am redeemed. Can we just um, close our eyes for a second? All right. The power of the Holy Spirit. Hannah and I were talking last night, and I'm going to be fully honest. I said, it's great scriptures, good stuff, but I, I, I want to see some transformation. And she just said, look, that scripture is, you know, it's, it, I said, well, she said, what's in it? And I said, it's talking about the power. It's talking about how um, we've got to have our first love. It talks about how, who God is. And I think part of what we need to do in church is to be reminded that God is real that He loves us, that He's for you, that He's with you. So I'm about to do something that some of you might find a little intimidating, a little scary. Um, God gave me some prophetic words. Um, I've only got one here where I name anyone, so you don't have to freak out. But if you feel like any of these are yours, it's not about me, it's not about the person next to you, it's about you and God. So just as we sit in His presence for a minute, I just want you to receive, and if you feel like this word is for you, I'd love you to respond later on. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come like a rushing wind. Lord, let us not be a church that is diluted, moves with the waves of the time. Now, our method can change, Lord, but let our message be constant. Let us learn from the Ephesians. Let us grow as we walk through the book of Ephesians. Holy Spirit, now we ask you to speak to the hearts and the minds of us, your people.